do you feel you and your organization is stuck in the rut of doing the same thing over and over again you know in the name of x.1 0.2 0.3% why on why growth but still getting nowhere do you ever feel whatever efforts you put however brilliant guys you include on your team and whatever path breaking initiatives you take you still end up with the same kind of problems in the same kind of areas with the same kind of results now we're going to tell you the way out we have puneet kulraj with us director at the vector consulting group who has co-authored the book apparent in hindsight on all these and much bigger concerns of almost every professional setup in the world Namaste I'm Shubham Agarwal and you're listening to SOS Secrets of Storytellers a podcast where I interview authors from the world of business share stories and concepts from their journeys don't miss out the last section where we get to know secrets from the storyteller themselves Hi Puneet welcome to Secrets of Storytellers how are you Hi Shubham I'm great and thanks thanks for having me here on this session it's so nice to be able to chat with you Great thanks it's good to be interviewing your own uh, director your own boss <laughs> <laughs> So uh Puneet you've basically tried to show you know what TOC is and how good a philosophy it is the idea of today's show is to leave the listeners with a good understanding about it you know the whole concept of theory of constraints sure what is it and how does it work sure but let's start uh, with setting the context before that so the book has two characters Majumdar and Sunil and they're heads of different departments at the organization and the organization is going through tough times at work they're not able to come up with the output uh, you know despite putting a lot of time effort manpower and everything what i'm curious about is where did you draw the inspiration about these characters from or are these your uh, own past self <laughs> yeah so you're right on both counts actually if you see every every working professional in the world i believe is a sunil or a majumdar at some point of time in their life okay mm-hmm. we pass through these roles and whatever are the trials and tribulations of sunil and majumdar as have been written in the book have been pretty much the experiences that every working manager and uh, i mean sunil and majumdar are just two people uh, representing two departments in the company really sales and production but if you see whether it is procurement whether it is logistics distribution marketing finance hr every professional manager is a sunil or a majumdar at some point of time in their life and the sad thing is that a lot of us spend our entire lives as sunil and majumdar we have great ideas we work very hard but we are not able to achieve a lot mm. in terms of you know helping the organization go forward and at the end of the day when the company doesn't do as great as you would like to do your own horizons get limited and you you tend to feel a bit down so yes the inspirations for this is everybody we've met including you know as you said my <laughs> own self i have been sunil mm-hmm. i have been majumdar and i have been you know all these roles each one of us everybody in vector has been like that right plus all of our clients have been like that mm-hmm. so in all the assignments that we worked you know all the companies that we worked with we have found a sunil a majumdar in practically every department every area that we work now i'm sure every listener would be curious who is this sunil and who is this majumdar <laughs> because we have uh, kind of given a good foundational context to them anyway so you're saying we find a lot of them around in almost every company or almost every company at least that you have worked with right yeah so then our company is doing something wrong fundamentally or is this approach you know incorrect or outdated what what everyone's following around how is it that everyone's being wrong 
Okay, so so my take is this: that you know nobody does anything wrong knowing that they are wrong. Nobody would. I mean, human human beings are are intelligent. Let's let's give some basic credence to you know human intelligence. Right. But what people should realize after some time is if I'm doing the right thing and I'm doing it so well, or rather I'm doing it with all the honesty and you know intent and and everything, and still I'm not getting the results that I'm you know expecting to get, hmm. or I am getting the results, but the stress that I'm putting myself through or you know my team through hmm. is so much. The price to be paid for those results is so high. Then obviously there is something wrong. Okay. So it's it's not that people are doing wrong things or people are you know doing things in a wrong way, but yes, what people are trying to do most of the time is do what the industry has been doing or what they themselves have been doing all these years, and they try to do it in a better manner. They never pause to think: Is there another more powerful way in which I can achieve the same result or a better result, and not stress myself so much? and that's that's where the key lies in in all professional managers so you know yes as you said is the conventional approach incorrect or outdated yes i would say it is but the point is we don't have to be so critical about the conventional approach or we we don't have to break our heads over it too much you know this uh, obsession about uh, what we've done in the past and sh- you know we should continue doing that or is it wrong or is it right actually drains a lot of time and energy of people what is essentially required is i have a goal and what is the best way in which i can reach that goal is there a simpler way is there a more powerful way is there a way which with which i can bring not only results to my company but lasting results to my company and that's the whole key about apparent in hindsight it is showing a mirror hmm. it is showing a mirror to the world saying this is what you have been doing and this is what you have been getting yes the results are good in some sense they sometimes they are right sometimes they are wrong sometimes they are better sometimes they are worse but here is an approach which gives you an an eye opening way in which you know you can achieve better results if not the same and in a much simpler way hmm i i agree because uh, while i was reading the book the instances that have been you know uh, surfaced out were very very similar from what i had been doing at you know past experiences past companies that i've worked with and uh, i was also amazed by the fact that how could it be so similar because everyone tends to think mere dikkatein alag hain yeah aur aapki dikkatein alag hain hum aise kaam nahi karte so yeah i think uh, that was another fact that i could so in fact that's very interesting shubham as you as you point out you know though we wrote the book with the background of the automotive industry but if you recall the way the first chapter has been written and where we describe a typical review meeting that happens we've got feedback from people saying why why is this about automotive this is my company <laughs> this is me and you know i could just change the names and it is a typical day in my organization and you know that's where the myth starts getting broken that you know my my industry is unique my my company is unique my plant is unique what i am doing is unique and people are so so you know the sucked into this syndrome hmm. of what i am doing is is different from rest of the world or my problems are different from rest of the world therefore the the solutions either don't exist or they have to be really you know very very different from rest of the world right would you remember of any specific incident or story from from your client meetings or anything from your past where they said ha ye sab to hamare hote hai lekin hum alag hai that that always happens you know one of the favorite stories i i tell to people is you know 
and again it's it's not to belittle or trivialize the emotions of people everybody believes that you know what they are going through is really very hard and you know right. all all human beings believe i'm uh, life is unfair to me <laughs> but then as i tell them look at it if life is unfair to everybody then then it is really fair okay <laughs> so therefore this whole syndrome of you know uh, i am different i am unique hmm. and therefore my problems are are also different gets broken ultimately when you know at the end of all this discussion the manager typically asks whatever you are telling me has this been tried or has this worked yeah. in any other company in my industry and then you know that that really sets the thought hmm. that if you are really so unique why are you bothered about whether whether it has worked <laughs> in any other place or not <laughs> great great so uh, puneet there's another company in the book uh, guardwill which is a competitor to the you know organization from which sunil and majumdar are and uh, apparently the company is doing great it's doing phenomenally well people are happy in the company they go back on time the vendors and customers are extremely happy and they are they're setting examples in the market now this sounds extremely counterintuitive how is that possible is this really real yeah so i i would like to confess here that that we are not such great at creativity that we <laughs> conjured up uh, a company called guardwell and and the whole cast of characters and the narrative this is not fiction you know okay. this is not out of the blue actually all all that we have written in the book is real the people are real and even guardwell is real okay. there exists a company in india the has been our client for many years who the the company and and all the managers of the company have imbibed all the philosophies of you know the uh, the work that we've done in theory of constraints hmm. in a manner that it has set them head and shoulders above everybody else in the industry they they compete with multinationals they compete with really phenomenal names in the indian corporate uh, environment plus they also compete with a lot of local players and they have for a 10 year period they have increased market share year on year wow which was you know unheard of for people thought it was impossible the company exists very much it is doing things very simply and actually if you see apparent in hindsight is the story of guardwell it's it's not really the story of sunil and majumdar <laughs> okay so right. uh, sunil sunil and majumdar are there to provide the counter narrative to guardwell because if hmm. if we just wrote about guardwell you know nobody would believe it. yeah nobody would believe it as you said you know it's very hard to believe that a company like guardwell exists right but when i set it against the narrative of the trials and tribulations of sunil and majumdar then people identify themselves with you know the problems they are going through the the step missteps that they are taking and all the failures that they are encountering and with each step that they are taking they look at guardwell they try and copy something that guardwell is doing then it becomes really more relatable and more believable i hope yeah it does but you know with with the kind of feedback you are giving there is still some work to be done <laughs> in making guardwell more credible <laughs> no i i agree <laughs> that they work <laughs> so then what is what is this philosophy of toc what is the secret behind it why is it that you know what does it really mean first of all theory of constraints as you put it okay so uh, it, it's a long uh, thing you know people are people are spending their lives in theory of constraints and you're asking me to describe it <laughs> <laughs> in a, in a short way but let me still attempt to so to cut a long story short theory of constraints is actually the application of scientific methods as brought to the world of management and business okay i'd like to put it that simply okay and um, at the base of it theory of constraints is really a, a way to think 
it guides people on how to think how to approach problems and how to devise very very simple but very powerful solutions okay. to any problem that the world can throw to them theoretical change can be applied to personal lives it can be applied to business it can be applied to any any part of a business you know be it hr finance production uh, sales marketing logistics procurement okay. theoretical change is applied to uh, service industries theoretical change is applied in education so i mean it's it's really become a vast body of knowledge but at the base of it theoretical change is always almost about focusing it helps you focus on the real problem on the root cause of the problem and it helps you cut out all the noise in the system and think simply in finding out what is the powerful and simple way in solving the root cause and most of the times you know the the prop, the root cause of the problems are not too many hmm. and if we are able to narrow down to the one or two things that need to be corrected in order to improve a situation right then uh, you know arriving at the solutions for those is also not rocket science and you know so we we spend a lot of times in identifying the right problem hmm. because once that is done more than half the job is done hmm. so you know if if i was to provide um, an analogy the the way to think the way to solve problems essentially is the way a doctor treats a patient you know right. the doctor gets so many signals such a lot of noise but but essentially the doctor's job is to find out what is the real disease and cause the real disease while you know uh, not getting bogged down by symptoms hmm. if a doctor just keeps on treating symptoms then is not a good doctor at all makes sense so then are we or you know at least the organizations that we're talking about are they not doing a great job at identifying problems um i i wouldn't say that um, entirely yes of course that is that is part of the problem that they are not not able to identify the the root cause but uh, you know the the way i look at it is there are two or three really big flaws in our thinking which prevent us from from doing really great work you know the first thing is that you know we we believe things are complex and if if something is complex then we are forced to take either the approach of you know breaking it down into parts right. and uh, attacking each part separately or we are forced to look for extremely sophisticated solutions because the problem is complicated the solution has to be sophisticated right right these two approaches actually kill the game right at the first step because in an organization if you try and break down each part and then apply uh, you know a problem solving technique to each part separately you lose the fact that you know the organization is nothing but a connected whole yeah. each department is connected to other departments no matter what improvement you try to do in one department if it is not going to help the entire organization then that improvement is a waste right hmm. so therefore you know taking this local optima approach as we call it you know trying to improve locally things without uh, having any you know um, sort of awareness of the connection to the global good that's that's where people lose it or people will conclude that you know a company is such a complex thing so we will need something really very sophisticated and you know i i wouldn't want to name uh, some of the approaches that people people are trying to use but yes the world goes through fads of you know management problem solving techniques or improvement technique once every 3 to 4 years correct and there's a wave of you know companies doing that and actually if you see nothing much has come out of it over a longer period of time so if i look at the horizon Uh, of the last let's say 50 60 years the shocking thing is this that the lifespan of a company is actually going down uh right it it is you know if you if you take the data of all the companies that are that are listed on the um, in standard and poor on on you know the new york stock exchange also 
Yeah. The lifespan of a company is coming down dramatically, right? While if you see the management thinking and management education has supposedly made great leaps in this entire 40-50 year period. Correct. So how is it that when management thinking is improving, the the core of it, where it should be applied, yeah. the life of a company is decreasing. So there is something seriously wrong with the way we are approaching. That's all. Correct. So then uh, why is it that uh, you know we're not looking at an application of TOC at a large scale? Any, any specific reasons that you have been able to figure out till now? Or is it too difficult? Uh, yeah, so a um, couple of things, you know, one is that TOC is, is extremely counterintuitive. Yeah. Okay, so actually if you see, you know, the, the book, The Goal, which, which came out, which was sort of, you know, the first, uh, what do I say, uh, in 1981, there, there wasn't such a thing as a, as a viral, hmm. but the book really went viral, you know, in, in those days, if I can use the word. Right. It, it introduced TOC to the world and there are millions of people. I mean, the book has sold more than 20, 25 million copies. So obviously there are millions of people who've read the book, right? Yeah. And people have read the book. They, they've fallen in love with what they've read. They've tried to deploy it in their working area, right? But they've again fallen victim to the fact that, you know, I am part, I am in one department of the company. And if I try and apply this to my, only my department, yeah then I, I don't achieve much because the rest of the company is still operating in a different way. And the moment I try and go and tell others about this new approach, the approach is so radical and so counterintuitive that, you know, it, it it's like, you know, the, the person becomes a, a revolutionary or a rebel in the organization. Right. So that's, that's the first issue that it is, it flies in the face of a lot of things the world has been doing for, for long. Hmm. Okay. Now, it's, it's not necessary that if you're doing the same thing for years, it is right. Yeah. <laughs> but you become comfortable with it. And the fear of doing something very opposite or very different, you know, is like, you know, it, it scares a lot of people. Yeah. Not realizing that actually not changing could be the biggest mistake you are making for your organization. Okay. True. People feel that there is a risk in applying a new approach. But what about the risk in carrying on doing whatever you have been doing and not achieving the results? And ultimately, you know, like I told you, hmm. the average lifespan of a company is going down. So, so much for following the traditional approach. But that's that's the first thing about TOC, that it is extremely counterintuitive. Right, right. Okay. And, and therefore, it takes, you know, actually it takes a lot of, what do I say, understanding or imbibing the essence of TOC at the topmost levels in the organization. And wherever we've achieved success, by far has always been when the top management of the company has you know thrown their uh, lot behind this whole movement or initiative uh, as i would say okay they say that i think i think this is simple i think it should work in my company and i would like to do it and only then you know the whole thing happens unfortunately till now we don't have a lot but as i see it in the last 5 five to six years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been working on this for about 15 years now. Last five to six years, I see that uh, medium to large companies also have started embracing this. Because at the end of the day, everybody wants better results. Yeah. And the moment they start seeing, you know, some some case studies, some success stories, then, then they would like to hear about it. The, the key here is that you have to hear about the approach. Because once you hear about the approach, it is so simple. And it appeals to, you know, uh, the core of you. Hmm. The, the beauty is, you know, when we talk to a lot of owners, we work with a lot of owner-managed companies. And when we talk to the owners, you know, what they say is, when I started this company and I was working, doing things on my own, this is exactly how I, how I was working. Oh, okay. 
right? And that's why their belief for this approach becomes stronger. That this is what I used to do. I used to think simply. I used to look at you know a few things, and I used to make the changes in my approach or whatever was required based on that. And now we've become so big and you know so complex. But if you say that this is the way to work, why won't I do it? So so yeah, we are we are getting momentum. I'm very hopeful. Next next three to four to five years, this will become a much much bigger thing than it is right. So I could pick up some words uh, while you were describing about the whole approach. Uh, you said counterintuitive. You said simple, and you said not complex. Now these are uh, I don't see how they go together in one line. However, there's another chapter in the book on how simple the operations in a kitchen are, and they're exactly you know what the TOC approach is. I'm kind of confused here. How does all of these things go together? Is managing a company as simple as running a kitchen? Yes, it is. In fact, running a kitchen is probably more complex than managing. I would say eighty to ninety percent of the companies that exist out there. Okay, you're going to lose me, listeners, at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I I hope I'm I'm intriguing them enough to go out buy the book and read it. That I am sure of. That this is the point that they leave the <laughs> podcast and they pick up the book. All right, that's the intent. Okay, please, yeah. But look at it. You know, um, we we tend to what do I say? Undermine or trivialize lessons that we could learn from our everyday life. Hmm. If I was to draw a, a similarity between a kitchen and a production environment, yeah. You know how many how many different types of raw material a kitchen has to handle? If you go to an average Indian kitchen. You would find between two fifty to three fifty different types of raw material, right? Wow. Okay. Go count all the boxes of all the spices, the dals, the uh, the condiments, the uh, the atta, chawal, everything. Yeah, there's loads of stuff. Okay. So you you would find no less than two fifty, and you know it could go to three fifty. So there is somebody out there who's managing two fifty to three fifty different raw material types. Hmm. Each one of them has a different MOQ, right? each one of them uh, has a different shelf life yeah right and they are being managed without an erp they don't need an sap or an oracle <laughs> or they 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 don't get into you know um, reverse auctions or they they don't get into uh, cartel buying they're able to manage it very well because the principles that they use are really very simple right mm-hmm. the idea behind running a kitchen a good kitchen is that you must never run out of raw material Okay. Yeah. While at the same time, you should not have so much raw material that you have to throw it away because it goes bad. Right. Okay. So they are able to manage very good availability at reasonable inventory. Right. Hmm. I I don't think you know there are there are ladies who are managing the kitchen who talk about working capital problems or delaying the purchases of certain items because you know it is a month end. <laughs> <laughs> Never like that. Okay. So that's that's on the pro, uh, procurement side. So if you if you read the book, we've given more detail about that. Correct. But also when it comes to the the production side, imagine if they if they ran the kitchen the way we are trying to run plants or factories. You know, they you know what they would say today. I'm making chapatis. You want dal that is on Wednesday's schedule. <laughs> Come to me on Wednesday. Wonderful. Right? Right. Because I I cannot I cannot break my setup. Also, they would ask you for a firm forecast. tell me every meal what will you have for the next 15 days right or if they were really you know working like companies they would say give me a one month firm plus two month tentative forecast right right all they want to know is whether you're going to have a meal at home or not what you will have can be decided as late as possible 
because they are in a position to create anything from the given raw material that they have. Essentially, what they've done is manage inventory well and keep the lead time of production as low as possible. Hmm. Yes, there are a few items, you know, which require some preparation time. But most of the items can be made in a one hour, two hour preparation. And that's how they work, right? That's really beautiful. And uh, now that you have uh, hurt the male chauvinist egos quite a bit here. <laughs> uh, I would really like to understand what are the belief system or the principles, as we call it, of TOC before I you know, move to the next question. Yeah, so I, I think I've been hinting towards it. So TOC bases itself on four key beliefs, you know. Uh, they, mm-hmm. why, why I fought shy of mentioning them upfront is like TOC, they are also very counterintuitive. And you know, the, the, world, the world thinks that, you know, this is, this is a mad cult. But uh, at, at the risk of being branded, branded like that, TOC believes that there is inherent simplicity in whatever we come across. So if we have, you know, if we come across a problem or if we come across any system, the system is inherently very simple. So it's, it's not to say that, you know, complexity does not exist. Hmm. Things may appear to be complex. But what is inherent simplicity? Inherent simplicity is that I can understand the one or two key leverage points of any system. Okay. A company may be a huge company. It consists of various departments and, you know, thousands of employees. But when I look at the problems of the company, I will be able to find out those one or two key leverage points, which if changed can bring the company to a whole new level of performance. So that's, that's the approach of inherent simplicity, right? That in any system and a system is always a, a you know, it is comprised of uh, entities which are interconnected. Right. There will be those one or two things which are at the core of the system, which if I touch, then everything else will change for much better or much worse, depending upon what you do. So that's the first belief of TOC, which we call inherent simplicity. The, the second belief is what is called inherent harmony. Okay. So inherent harmony means conflicts in this world are very easily solvable. Mm-hmm. There should not be any conflicts rather, you know. Right. But yes, we find conflicts everywhere. Okay. Yeah. So it's not to say that, you know, uh, conflicts do not exist. Of course they exist. Okay. But solving conflicts is actually a very easy job. Provided we approach the conflict from the mindset of, of TOC. And the mindset of TOC is this, that most of the times the conflicting parties are engaged in a battle which is trying to divide a limited cake okay yeah and the approach of toc is that actually if i can if i can make the cake larger then both the parties can have what they want without you know feeling shortchanged but but the world has been taught that you know everything is a zero sum game and therefore we have to maximize the gains for ourselves and if for somebody to win somebody else has to lose correct and this whole win lose philosophy that people try is actually what they don't realize is that win lose does not exist in reality, there are only two scenarios. One is lose-lose and one is win-win. If we are not able to do a true win-win, then we will end up with a win-lose because if between you and me, I win today, you lose. Yeah. Tomorrow or you know, sometime later, you will try to win and I will lose. So win-lose will always result in a lose-lose. So TOC believes that a win-win solution is always possible. Okay. Right. So that is inherent harmony. And uh, then the, the, the third belief of TOC is what we call inherent potential. Okay. Right. We believe that in any organization or in an organization that is operating in a market, the room to grow is always quite big. Okay. Okay. I mean, and the larger the company, the bigger the jump it can make. Okay. The third belief of TOC is what we call the inherent goodness of people. 
Okay. To put it simply, we believe that all people are good. Again, not easily palatable to a lot of people. But that's not the essence. It does not matter whether people are good or not. But the belief that we should have about people being good is about trying to solve problems. Okay. Most of the times when we are faced with any issue, typically in organizations, and we try and identify what, you know, why is this problem happening? A lot of times we tend to blame people. Yeah. A lot of times we tend to find out that, you know, there is some individual to be held responsible for this. And that is where the thinking stops. Because if I have found somebody to blame, the moment I find a scapegoat, actually I am now in a very comfortable position. Change the person, the problem should go away, right? Correct. So I stop thinking further. And the belief of inherent goodness of people essentially forces us to think beyond people. We, we are not allowed to blame people. So if I'm not allowed to blame the person, then I have to think that if this person is not to be blamed, if the person is good, then why is it that the problem is happening? Right. And that's where the whole analysis and problem solving focuses, you know, itself saying that I will remove people and now I will try to think why is this system making people behave in a way that is bad? Okay, people are not bad. The way that they are behaving is bad. Because if you look at it, typically in an organization, you know, one of the examples that you know people people say is that our logistics department or our dispatch is not not good enough and you know there are a lot of wrong shipments or there are a lot of misshipments hmm. now if you look at analyze the data if you sit down and analyze the data the same set of people are able to do a decent job from the 1st to the 20th of the month right they they send all the dispatches all the shipments in the correct way to all the correct places and then suddenly from the 23rd 24th onwards you know they start losing it how is it possible why, why would they just come to office, you know, on the 25th and say, okay, now let me today think how I can screw up the company. <laughs> right. And, you know, just for the heck of it, let me try and send Guwahati shipment to Salem. Let's see what happens. <laughs> Nobody works like that, right? Yeah. So the same people who are able to do a good job or a decent job from 1st to 21st, somehow screw it up from the 25th to the 30th. If the people were bad, they would screw it up the entire month. If they're not screwing up the entire month, then it means there is something changing in the system which is forcing them. So is it that you are having a very high month-end skew? Is it that the load on the people is so high towards the month-end that they are bound to make mistakes? You know, when they are doing 40% of the month's dispatches in the last two to three days, mm -hmm. obviously things will go wrong. Interesting, yeah. Now you try and find out a superman of logistics who will, who will do this right. Best of luck to you. <laughs> That is inherent goodness of people. The belief that people are good, they will not create problems, forces us to go and find out beyond people. What is it about the system which is making them behave in that manner? Okay. And the last and most important belief of TOC is what we call inherent potential, which says that any company, any system can be improved and even the sky is not the limit. I mean, improved to the extent that the sky is not the limit. And the larger the company is, the bigger jump it can make, right? That's, that's the essence of inherent potential. And I'll tell you why, why it is important. Normally when companies think of improvement, you know, they, they, they take targets, they take stretch targets, okay? Yeah. And then they try and meet those targets. Taking a target is not bad. Trying and meeting the target is bad. I may be confusing you, but you know, trying and meeting the target is bad because you're limiting yourself to the target. Sometime we have to realize that targets are actually limiting performance of, of people, you know. If I take a target of 12% growth, yeah. how much do you think I will end up growing? Maybe 15%. Yeah. If I take a target of 20% growth, maybe I'll grow by 18%, 19%, right? But 
I will surely grow more than 12, 13, 14 percent. You know, the, the fallacy is this, that a guy who takes a target of 12 percent and achieves 12 percent is considered much better than a guy who takes a target of 20 percent and fails by achieving only 17 percent. That's right. Okay. That's what a target does. So what we say is that keeping outcome targets is actually limiting the performance of the company. We should believe in inherent potential. How much can we achieve? Let's let's look at, you know, how much can we achieve? What is the potential of the system? And if we look at the potential of the system, then the room to grow is very big. Because look at it. There are very few industries in which, you know, the companies are having an overwhelmingly large market share. Most of the companies are having a market share of 15, 20, 25, 30%. Right? Okay. Why can't a 25% market share company grow by 50% in a year? All it has to do is take market share from others, right? Even if you are the biggest player in the industry and your market share is, let's say, 25%, why can't you grow at 50%? Okay. I can understand if you are over 60% market share, yes, you can say that was, I am so big that for me to grow by 50%, the market also has to grow by 30%. But I'm saying, let the market be growing by 10%. Let the market be degrowing. How does it matter? All you have to do is grow from 20% to 25% or 30% market share. That's what you have to do. But we are all, you know, couched behind this thinking of, let me take a target which is realistic. Management will anyway stretch it. I will try to stretch it back. And ultimately, I will try to meet the target. As long as I meet the target, I'm fine. Yeah. And that is where the TOC philosophy of inherent potential comes into play. So these four things taken together, inherent goodness, inherent harmony, inherent simplicity and inherent potential. These, if you ask me, are the sum and substance of TOC. They actually help you focus. They help you focus on finding the right problem area. They help you focus in working in a manner where you can achieve the maximum out of a system. This is not sounding, <laughs> this is not sounding realistic. How, how do we? Yeah, I know. It is, it is good that, that this is, this is this is only audio, otherwise people would be expecting me to wear white robes and have, you know, long hair. Because that is the work of Babas. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I swear because you're like, 20% is my market share and I, the headroom is to, uh, you know, grow by 80%. What are you talking about? What world are you living in? How do you make people believe this? You're right. It, that, and that's why I said, you know, it's, TOC is counterintuitive. I'm saying either at this point, the listeners would call me up or they'll ask me for your number. <laughs> either of us are going to get beaten up. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I, I think I, I am used to handling calls like this and sooner or later, you will also become part of the <laughs> bandwagon. It, it's fun to be a part of the cult, which is, you know, so headstrong. <laughs> you know, the, 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 actually the sad thing is to, to be seen as a cult. because. Till the time we are seen as a cult, you know, we are actually limiting our own acceptance. Cults, cults are not accepted by society at large. Mm. So I, I'm very happy not being called a cult, you know. Okay. I, I think as more and more people adopt this uh, methodology, they, they adopt this philosophy, they start working, people will realize that, you know, this is not a cult, it is common sense. Yes, it, there is a certain way in which you think properly there is a sequence in which you have to you know uh, implement the entire set of injections that have to be implemented and if you see apparent in hindsight is all about that right the sequence is really important because what what sunil and majumdar keep doing through the book if you see they they are constantly you know going from one failure to another 
and that's what we've tried to weave through the book that even though you may know the elements of the solution but implementing them in the correct sequence is also very important hmm. right right and that's that's where the key is great uh, i would have asked you if the you know the companies are doing wrong but i think we've got enough and more answers i am just curious about how or what was the process of you learning this entire you know uh, philosophy of toc how did you pick this up um well i mean like a lot of people i ha- i had read the goal during my my mba at that time found it very interesting but um, unfortunately i i also got overawed by complex philosophies and you know linear programming and and all those all those methodologies that i learned how to how to make a better forecast right how to do a proper routing <laughs> and and i spent a better part of my professional career you know doing all that i look back at it and not really proud of it but then i think that was also important to uh, as part of my learning process but yes i i was fortunate enough to to get a chance to be part of a company that that started work in this area so we were a group of people in a large company mm-hmm. who who started working on toc and that time you know toc was coming into india the entire uh, professional part of it into into organizations and we we tied up and you know we we got together we learned toc formally and we were able to apply it in in the first set of companies got good results and then as luck would have it some of us came out of that larger company started vector consulting and we've never looked back wonderful this is really interesting and extremely motivating and i'm sure uh, a lot of people will be definitely intrigued great supreet uh, this brings us to the last and concluding section of the podcast and uh, this is an interesting one and it's a common across all the episodes that i've done so as you know it's called secrets of storytellers the show uh, so i want to ask you one secret about the book or about the journey while you know you were writing the book along with all the co-authors i understand there were a lot of people who contributed to the book so anything that you remember very significantly which probably you've never shared okay so so there are lots of things if i if i carry on we'll i don't know how long we'll take but i'll tell you the most interesting thing about this book sure you know this this book is perpetual wip <laughs> okay okay which means what this book is never final what we released when we released this book and where we are today you know we are actually as as we speak we are just putting the final touches on the second edition of the book oh okay and there are you know there are two or three uh, dramatic changes in the book why because as we are going along in this journey hmm. we you know new new solution elements and new revelations are coming along all right so i i would say actually you know apparent in hindsight is like is probably going to be the chronicle of uh, evolution of you know management thinking around uh, using th- uh, theory of constraints wow because i'm sure as we are putting you know like i told you we are putting together the final final uh, you know parts of the second edition but already i realize that there are things in the second edition which are missing because there are new things to be added so this is a book which is actually it's a living creature you know it's normally you know books are i i write a book and you know i would probably yes there there are you know textbooks which which go through revisions and you know the 7th edition the 10th edition the 11th edition but if you see there are no dramatic changes correct yeah what we are seeing as changes in apparent in hindsight actually three chapters have been totally rewritten and two new chapters have been introduced okay okay uh, which are which are really like new solution elements which did not exist 
why because we we ourselves were not very you know sort of robust on those huh. so this book is is a chronicle is this book is a chronicle of you know uh, the improvements that companies are doing and uh, like like we wrote in the in the forward um, or the dedication that it's it's actually a tribute to all our clients because it is coming out of all their suffering <laughs> i remember i i i read a book it's a it's a very nice book written by uh, dr rudwadia and the dedication of that book is to all his patients in the dedication he says this is dedicated to all my patients they had to suffer so that i could learn <laughs> <laughs> nice that's interesting so apparently in hindsight is like that we are only collecting whatever you know problems people are going through and how they are being solved and i'm sure as long as humanity exists problems will continue solutions will come about right so i would be very happy to see you know from wherever i am 150 years from now a print in hindsight probably you know 120th edition or something acha wala toc ka granth likh rahe hum bilkul that's interesting because you know as as the name says everything is crystal clear and apparent but only in hindsight that's very true yeah i agree yeah great so uh, thanks for sharing that and uh, thank you for taking out time this was a wonderful session uh, i hope you enjoyed it as well i did i did thank you very much i i i just hope i was not rambling uh, i did not uh, put your listeners to you know to sleep but we 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 are very passionate about this so so that's where yeah I don't think anyone would go to sleep for anything else uh, they would come out of their deep slumber if if at all they you know listen to it so even if one person comes out we i think we would have a great done a great service to mankind <laughs> <laughs> that's great wonderful thanks a lot puneet once again thank you shubham and thank you to all the listeners until the next secret and the next storyteller this is shubham signing off bye bye